Welcome to Crafting Solutions to Conflict, a podcast exploring how to deal effectively with conflict, actual and potential, good and bad. Engaging guests discuss a range of insights, and I cover tips and topics based on my 35-year fascination with conflict and my experience helping people with it. I'm your host, Jane Bettle, and my goal is to share a perspective on conflict that is both practical and positive. My guest today is Charlie Pillsbury, who has worn and continues to wear many influential hats as a mediator and leader in the world of conflict and dispute resolution. In this episode, our main focus is the impressive organization Mediators Beyond Borders International, an organization in which he has been deeply involved. Hi, Charlie. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. You bet. Thank you for inviting me to participate. Well, I am looking forward to it. And although there are so many things I would love to talk with you about regarding mediation, peace building, conflict resolution, all of those things, we probably can't get to every single one. What I will do is ask you to tell us a little bit about your career path that has led you to where you are today. Sure. Well, I I start my career path as a lawyer. Ralph Nader was my hero. Mm -hmm. It didn't take me long to figure out that I was not Ralph Nader, (laughs) nor did I even like the practice of law. But of course, that took me about 15 years to figure out. And then I found the job of my life, which for 20 years meant that I was the executive director of a community mediation center in New Haven, Connecticut, called Community Mediation, Inc. Yes. And that was in my early 40s. And that was, of course, where we met. And that really led then to what I'm doing today, which are really two separate activities. One as a an adjunct faculty member at Quinnipiac Law School and co-director of its Center on Dispute Resolution. But also, I am currently now a, a member of the board of directors of Mediators Beyond Borders International. I was also one of its founding members. And uh, for a short while at the beginning, actually, really from 2009 to 2013, I was uh, what was called the initially the volunteer interim executive director. Okay. I soon lost both volunteer and interim titles, (laughs) but in the end was not successful in really at that point helping MBB kind of become what it is today under our new CEO and president. So Charlie, I do want to ask one thing. I've known you for a long time and you have been so effective and so respected in the world of mediation. How, of all things, was that where you landed when you were working your way away from a traditional practice of law? Well, actually, for me, it was a faith journey. I'm a very active and devout Christian. And uh, in that period of time when I was burning out as a lawyer and trying to figure out what to do next, I took some courses at the Yale Divinity School. Mm -hmm. And I also joined an organization called the Christian Legal Society, which is a 
a very conservative evangelical uh, organization of Christian lawyers back in the 80s because I was so impressed that there were a group of lawyers taking their faith seriously, even if I didn't agree with them on most issues. Mm-hmm. And one day I get an invitation through the CLS to a mediation conference in Lombard, Illinois at Wheaton College, okay. Billy Graham's alma mater. Yes. I decide I'm going to go. I'm going to find out what this is all about and how it relates to my faith and my work. So I went and it was really kind of an Alice walking through the looking glass experience. It was uh, in part because there weren't many sort of mainline Christians. Maybe there was one other Episcopalian, one Presbyterian, and me from the United Church of Christ. Otherwise, these were evangelicals, or they were Mennonites, brethren, Quakers, right? the peace churches. Yes. And I figured out that actually this conference wasn't being organized by the Christian Legal Society. It was being organized by the Lombard Mennonite Peace Center in Lombard, Illinois. But I was interested in exploring what they meant by Christian conciliation. Uh-huh. Uh, I learned quickly that it's not what I want to do with my life. It's not what I would call mediation. It actually struck me as the proof texting. You know, you're going to say you're, a, you're dealing with a divorcing couple. Now, you're going to get back together and love each other, whether you like it or not, because that's what the Bible says. Oh, huh. It was very crude. And I said, oh. But nevertheless, the notion of conciliation and reconciliation appealed to me. Mm -hmm. Because I think that in this world, we're called, as the prophet Micah says, to love justice, do mercy, and walk humbly with our God. And that notion of conciliation and reconciliation and mediation seem to combine in a very interesting way both justice and mercy. Yes. Uh, and it's always a dialogue between the two. It's not simple. There are no easy answers. But it's something that I found as really a calling. Uh, so I really went into this work as kind of a, a lay ministry, you might say. And I still see it that way. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, it comes to my mind almost an origin story for you of how you came to do the work that you feel led to do. Yeah, no, I felt called. Fantastic. It was interesting that the power meeting in a conference, I'd never been to a conference with evangelical Christians. Uh, yes. But at the end of the conference, they did something that I still remember and I've used actually uh, sometimes in some cases, mostly church settings. At the end of a conference, you got into small groups, and it was an active listening exercise. Oh, really? You said what you wanted to do when you left here with what you've learned at this conference, and then somebody led a prayer, and everybody went around and prayed that we would be able to accomplish what we had wanted to do as a, as a goal, leaving this conference. And it was... One of the things that was amazing is that within three weeks of returning back to New Haven, I discover for the first time, I've been living in New Haven for a decade or more, and been involved with the Columbus House Shelter and been very involved in the community. I had never heard of the Fairhaven Community Mediation Program, or by the time I discovered it, it was called Community Mediation Inc. in mm-hmm. Fairhaven. And so the fact that I discovered this 
just within a matter of less than a month after returning from this conference. It's like an answer to prayers. Yes. It was very powerful. So I feel blessed. This is so interesting. And that you've done different things, but all related things for a long time. And we'll actually fast forward a bit. Community Mediation, Inc., I know you were there a long time, 20 years. Is that right? That's right. And actually, part of that, I was one of the founding executive directors of a national organization called the National Association for Community Mediation, also known as NAFCM, N-A-F-C-M. And uh, that's still around, supporting community mediation centers, not only within this country, but around the world. Terrific. And then certainly your current work at Quinnipiac and your co-director, Carrie Case, was a terrific guest on episode 35, if people would like to learn more about the center, which has some remarkable work going on there. But I'm going to ask you to tell us a bit about how you got involved in the creation of Mediators Beyond Borders. Well, again, feels one of those funny stories that there I'm sitting at my desk in Fairhaven as the executive director. This is now the spring of 2007, and I still have a couple more years. I get an email that says, contribute to world peace through mediation for $1 a day. Wow. And I said, that's a good deal. If, yes. if we could achieve world peace through mediation, just by contributing a dollar a day, I, I'm in. Yes. So of course, that was a clever way of, of asking for $365. <laughs> yes. Which I contributed uh, and was one of the first 150 members to do that. So I became a founding member. And then I thought nothing of it uh, until about six months later. And then I get an email from this organization saying, we'd like to invite you as a founding member to our founding Congress. And then I'm beginning to wonder that we have to have a founding Congress. I mean, did I join something that wasn't founded already? I mean, <laughs> I was really confused, but I decided, well, I'm going to go find out. It was held at a Catholic retreat center in Colorado mm-hmm. that weekend. There were three retreats going on. One was the spirituality section of the Association for Conflict Resolution. Okay. The other was the Association of Mediators in Colorado. And then there was Mediators Beyond Borders. And actually, it was interesting over the course of the two days, some people left our and and, and went to another and we picked up people from. So I discovered in that group of 60 or 70 people, here I had been in the field almost 20 years I only knew one other person. There was only one other director of a mediation center in Jamaica, Queens, New York. Wonderful guy named Mark Kleiman. Terrific center and really the most diverse community in the United States, in my opinion. And he did great work. And we'd known each other. We actually had invited him to do a workshop up in in Connecticut at one point. Mm -hmm. But we were the only two community mediators. The rest of these people were private mediators. And that was a new world for me again. Family mediators, labor mediators, commercial mediators. There was a keynote speaker named John Paul Lederach, who is one of my heroes. Uh, He's now the director of the Kroc Institute for Peace Studies at Notre Dame, which, of course, was underwritten by Mrs. Kroc, the the widow of uh, Roy Kroc at, at McDonald's. 
And she set up these two peace study centers, one at Notre Dame, one in San Diego. And uh, he was recruited from Eastern Mennonite University in Virginia to become the director. And, but I had known about him for several years and uh, was just struck by the work that he did around the world, including Columbia, which is a place I had visited. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it turned out we had, we had friends in, Colombian friends in common. So again, I felt, wow, I'm in the right place. Absolutely. So what happens next? So what happens next is that I get involved actually in a Latin American interest group that comes out of that. There's an African interest group. Uh, By that time, we already had our first project, uh, which was training mediators in a 50,000-member refugee camp in Ghana. These were all Liberian refugees who fled Liberia and somehow... Some of the, of the coordinators of this, really this village of 50,000 refugees were so frustrated with the conflicts they were dealing with that they went online and, and they found our organization and they emailed the founder, Ken Cloak, uh, yes. uh, from uh, Southern California and asked Ken if he would send them a training manual so they could train mediators in this, I think, the Buddha Robin refugee camp in Ghana. And he said, we can do better than that. We'll send you as many copies of training manuals as you need, and we'll send you some people to work with you. So in a way, our first project was very much a community mediation project. I guess so. Wow. Fast forward a couple of years. And uh, at that point, MBB has an office in Pittsburgh. It has a, a program director, a bookkeeper, and it's in a law office uh, by one of our founders, Bob Creo. And I get an email again asking if I'm interested in applying for the job of volunteer interim executive director. <laughs> a phrase, <laughs> a wonderful phrase. Three of us do. And they, of course, hire all three of us because we are both. <laughs> uh, one of the three dropped out quickly, but they designated me as the executive director and my colleague, uh, Jim Lengel, again from Southern California, as the operations director. But basically, we were on very short leashes. This was a board-run, board-driven organization. And that led to some conflicts because I was so used to being an executive director uh, with a board that generally approved of almost everything I did. And I realized that, that I was not part of an established organization. This was an organization that was really just getting its feet wet, going through that process that we call it in organizational development, forming, storming, norming, and performing. And we were clearly in the forming and storming stage. Oh, boy. There were no rules, uh, but except that we would only respond to projects through which we were invited. We did not suggest projects. We did not go looking for local partners. We waited for people to find us. But we've moved away from that because uh, that really burnt out our volunteers. Uh, Mm. It was not sustaining. Mm -hmm. I got involved initially and had been involved already in the beginning of what became the Columbia Project and I'm still involved in that project. I've been involved both now on the board, but also as one of the team leaders of this project we've been doing. It's gone through two different generations and we're now 
looking for sort of a third phase and it's changed from just being an American organization, a U.S.-based organization. What's lovely is, uh, although I'm a team leader, the real project leaders are a Colombian woman who has lived in Canada. She uh, still has family in Bogota. And so I call her a, a Canadian Colombian. And the other team leader is a Spanish woman who now lives in London in the UK. So I call her a Spanish Brit. Good. <laughs> of course, particularly Catalina, who's from Colombia, has been invaluable because we are trying to work with local partners. We learned after some false starts that we were only as successful as our local partners. If we did not have strong local partners who were interested in collaborating with us because they thought we could add some value to what they were already doing, you know, we'd have no success. And in the end, the success as in mediation is not our success. It's the success of our local partners. Because as one local partner pointed out to me when I was in Colombia, he said, you know, Charlie, we're here before you got here. We're here while you're here, and we'll be here long after you leave. Absolutely. So you're, you're playing on our chessboard. Yep. And I said to him, oh, that's great. So I'm just a pawn. He said, no, uh, sometimes you are, he said, but, but sometimes you're the queen or a bishop. It, it just depends on you know, the move I have to make because I know the lay of the land and you don't. Right. And I think, Charlie, that that sense comes through so clearly in the MBBI um, website today that this is not about outsiders, especially Anglo outsiders, coming into anywhere and saying, this is the way everything needs to be done. Yeah, I mean, it took us a while to shake that reputation because it really kind of comes on the heels of the shock and awe bombing of Baghdad. Mm -hmm. And if we can drop bombs, why can't we just drop mediators? And of course, the notion of dropping a mediator anywhere is ridiculous. Because, you know, as I tell people, even in New York, if you have a dispute in Brooklyn, you don't want your mediators coming from Manhattan or the Bronx. You want mediators from Brooklyn. Right. So it's important to have that those roots uh, and to develop trust with whoever, with whomever you're working. So I think part of what this has led to is kind of a move away from this project-based model to really a capacity building. I love the notion of our vision, which is to make a peace in quotes, able world. It's a peaceable world, but it's a world that is able to build peace themselves. It's yes. not being done for them. It's being done by them. And our job is to, our mission is therefore to build local capacity and promote mediation worldwide. Well, it was not just mediation anymore. It's any number of facilitative processes. Mediation is a very broad term, but mm -hmm. a lot of what we do is, is a leadership training, a facilitation training. And these days, our hallmark, because it turns out there are other international peace-building organizations, and what distinguishes us from them, and I would say what does is that we have built up uh, a reputation for working with women at the community level worldwide. We have trained several hundred women from more than 30 countries. Wow. And we do this in a very creative model. The very first training we did involved mediators 
uh, well, really not mediators because they're not mediators, they're community leaders. They're involved in their community and they need a broad range of skills. And we worked initially in 2013 in Istanbul, where we had our first international congress. And we brought community leaders from North Africa and the Middle East, including our member, uh, a Palestinian and an Israeli, both women who had never met each other, but who became close friends after going through not only the initial training, but then after the initial training, there's a mentoring over a period of time. And then there's a follow-up advanced training, which took place in this case in Belfast. Great. Because one of our best trainers is a wonderful Northern North Irish woman named Mary Montague, who was working in a peace center in Northern Ireland, which Lord, we know needs one. Yes. And today our trainers come from Indonesia. They come from Africa. I think actually the next training was, was in Indonesia. Another development that's worth noting is that we discovered early that a large number of our members were also members of Rotary International. Is that right? Uh, it was really striking, you know, huh. because Rotary International has, for the past decade, had six priorities, maternal and infant health being one, mm-hmm. eradicate polio being another. Peace and conflict resolution is one of Rotary International's priorities. And here's an organization that's worldwide, has over oh, a million yes. members. Yes. And after many years of working with them, including in this mediation training, we now call it the International Peace Training Institute. We did that next training in uh, Indonesia, which with, with the support of uh, several Indonesian uh, rotary clubs in, in the Jakarta area and with an, an Indonesian trainer actually from Aceh, who we'd met uh, because she's a remarkable peace builder. And she's actually one of our trainers and consultants and uh, named Shadia Marhaban. And through these partnerships, we uh, developed a relationship with Rotary. So now that we are actually designated, you can go to the Rotary National website and see that Mediators Beyond Borders International is a strategic service partner of Rotary International. Fantastic. And, and of course, that's opened doors for us around the world. And the current International Peace Interest Institute is taking place in, uh, in Nairobi. Actually, I take that back. I think it's in Lagos. No, uh, we've worked in Nairobi, but this was in Lagos. And mm-hmm. again, we have the support of the, the Lagos Rotary Club. And uh, it's really interesting. In that particular training, most of the participants are actually already police officers, female police officers. Wonderful. Who are committed to being peacemakers, not just peacekeepers. Uh, so that's, that's really our calling card, our, our partnerships with Rotary International and our focus on building the capacity of women leaders around the world. This was inspired by the priorities set by the United Nations. Mm-hmm. Back in 2001, unanimously, the Security Council adopted Resolution 1325, which is about women, peace, and security, to deal with the issue that in modern warfare, it's women and children who are the most victimized. It's it's these civilian casualties. It's the women who are raped. It's the children who are kidnapped. And yet women have no role in peace building. Mm -hmm. And and then in 2011, actually on the General Assembly, uh, through a resolution actually sponsored by 
the Finnish government and the Turkish government uh, adopted a, a resolution that incorporates 1325, but it's really, it's not binding. Security Council resolutions are binding. There's this resolution on mediation that was adopted in 2011 by the UN is, is not binding, but it led to the creation of a mediation support unit within the United Nations, within the Department of Political Affairs, with a priority to recruit more women as peace builders and to train them as peace builders and to use them as peace builders. This is just great. I so much appreciate all the positive news that you're sharing with us and the development and the learning curve. There always is one for the organization trying to figure out how to be as effective as it can be and recognizing, as you've phrased it so well, the person saying it to you, and we've heard it in other contexts, and you've said it in other contexts of those folks are there. The folks who come to help, well, that's great, but they're not going to be there forever. They come and then they move on. Charlie, this is terrific to get a taste of what's going on with Mediators Beyond Borders. And I'll ask you to share with listeners where they could learn more and where they could reach out to you if they wanted to be in touch with you. Well, it's very easy to find the Mediators Beyond Borders International website. You just have to Google Mediation Beyond Borders International. And uh, be careful. There's actually also, a, or was anyway, a mediation Mediators Without Borders organization in Colorado. So don't confuse the two. But this is, that's why we call ourselves Beyond Borders, to distinguish ourselves from the Without Borders organization. The way to reach me personally is that I am the co-director of the Center on Dispute Resolution at Quinnipiac Law School. And I think you could probably Google me too, but, but I can also just give you my email and office phone number quickly. It's sure, uh, sure, sure. charles.pillsbury at quinnipiac.edu. And my telephone is 203-582-8145. And of course, I'll put those links in the show notes. Quinnipiac is not easy for everyone to spell. I sometimes have to look (laughs) and and check to see how many N's and P's are there in in Quinnipiac. It will be easy once you start looking to find more about the organization. Wonderful website, talks a lot about what they do and how they do it and what their priorities are as Charlie's outlined them. Thank you again, Charlie. It's been great fun talking with you and learning a bit more that I never knew about your personal journey to get involved with all of this good work and also about the organization. Well, thank you, Jane. We've collaborated on so many projects. It's fun to collaborate with you on another. Thank you for the opportunity. Sure. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the Crafting Solutions to Conflict podcast, please share it. Leave a rating or review. Subscribe through one of the major apps. For anyone new to podcasts, here's something you may not know. Subscribing is free. You can also find the show at CraftingSolutionsToConflict.com. Comments or ideas? Let me know. Until next time, I'm Jane Bettle.